welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. Today is Holy Thursday, and it is my suspicion that I will be recording today and over the next couple of days before I publish this next podcast, which may have the title, Are We Worth It? I mean, are we, the human race created by God, worth the incarnation, death, resurrection of our Lord? If you look too closely, or just a little closely, at the panoply of history, wow, we are pretty ugly in our conduct, and we haven't improved yet. Once again, I'm just thinking this week, not really writing too much down except in real scribbles, and so I'm not attempting to be particularly theological. I'm just kicking stuff around that, I suppose, bothers everyone, or at least some of us many of us who think about God and his plan and what we're supposed to be doing in relationship to his plan. The fact that people dismiss the Bible so easily in this illusion of enlightenment that people have and have had before, when the Bible is like looking into a mirror and seeing just how little we have changed. I didn't watch the Grammys, for example, but but there were people who thought they bordered on the pornographic and the frenzies of the last year or so by various groups. I'm not going to be particularly political, though I have ideas and feelings about what happened, but it doesn't really matter. All the people that went out there and damaged and hurt and the fact that people are being attacked on the streets for all sorts of reasons in this so-called civilized society and coyotes are dropping toddlers from 14 feet walls. And though we know commonsensically, scientifically, and biblically that God created man, male and female, he created them, that apparently has stopped being the case by fiat. We are whatever we want to be. For my part, I wouldn't mind being a house cat, but I digress. In big and little things, we are devolving, parenthetically. I want to mention a little thing. I was going up to the house of a friend in the hills, in the Hollywood Hills, and as I went up this narrow lane, and it's very narrow, it's a blind spot, I noticed that there was a car a very nice car, a BMW, a Mercedes, with a person outside of it, just smack dab in the center. The person could have moved over a bit and made room for me, but didn't. And I noticed that he got out of the car, he saw me there, he was looking at his phone, playing with his phone, took some packages, slowly walked into the house nearby on one side of this little street, didn't come out that quickly, then comes out, still looking at his phone, and I didn't honk. I was, I will tell you, I was angry, but I did not honk. I simply waited. And then finally he got back into his car, and as he passed me, he flashed me a V sign. I'm not sure whether that was peace or something else. Why? Why would someone do that? 
what is the reason to do something so downright small-minded and small-acting? I read that uh, church-going has actually dropped another 50%. I'm not sure if that's just 50% or 50% more than it already had dropped. So, at a time when really you would think we'd all turn to God because everything is decaying around us and is upheaval around us, people are instead saying, no, don't need God. So, as I said, the Bible tends to have a bit of a holding up of a mirror to us. And one of the things that comes to mind a lot when I'm watching what's going on in our world is that part of Exodus where Moses had gone up to see God on the mountain. And before he went up, the people had murmured. Murmured is there, is there, oh, you know, I don't like what the Lord is doing. He's not doing what I need him to do. He's not doing what I want him to do. What is this business of putting us in the desert and making us go across it? And who is this Moses? Why should he be in charge? Why does God commerce with him? And so while Moses is up on the mountain, the people of God are doing their own thing. This is taken from chapter 32 of Exodus. And I'm reading from the Douay Rheims Bible. I've discovered that it's my favorite of all the translations. I've had many translations of the Bible. I have them all over the place. My one that I hoped I would like would be the Knox translation, but in fact, I didn't like it. It somehow felt very unadorned, very just... I don't know, it just didn't hit me right. So as much as I admire Monsignor Knox, I buried that translation somewhere in my library. So here first is the heading of the chapter. The people fall into idolatry. Moses prayeth for them. He breaketh the tables, destroyeth the idol, blameth Aaron, and causeth many of the idolaters to be slain. And the people, seeing that Moses delayed to come down from the mount, gathering together against Aaron, said, Arise, make us gods that, that may go before us. For as to this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has befallen him. And Aaron said to them, Take the golden earrings from the ears of your wives and your sons and daughters, and bring them to me. And the people did what he commanded, bringing the earrings to Aaron. And when he had received them, he fashioned them by founder's work, and made of them a molten calf. And they said, These are thy gods, O Israel, that have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and made proclamation by a crier's voice, saying, Tomorrow is the solemnity of the Lord. And rising in the morning, they offered holocausts and peace victims, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go, get thee down. Thy people which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt hath sinned. They have quickly strayed from the way thou didst show them. And they have made to themselves a molten calf, and have adored it, and sacrificing victims to it have said, These are thy gods, O Israel, that have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And again the Lord said to Moses, See that this people is stiff-necked. Let me alone, that my wrath may be kindled against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of thee a great nation. But Moses besought the Lord his God, saying, Why, O Lord, is thy indignation enkindled against thy people, whom thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? 
Let not the Egyptians say, I beseech thee. He craftily brought them out, that he might kill them in the mountains, and destroy them from the earth. Let thy anger cease, and be appeased upon the wickedness of thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swarest by thy own self, saying, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and this whole land that I have spoken of I will give to your seed, and you shall possess it forever. And the Lord was appeased from doing the evil which he had spoken against his people. And Moses returned from the mount, carrying the two tables of the testimony in his hand, written on both sides, and made by the work of God. The writing also of God was graven in the tables. And Joshua, hearing the noise of the people shouting, said to Moses, The noise of battle is heard in the camp. But he answered, It is not the cry of men encouraging to fight, nor the shout of men compelling to flee, but I hear the voice of singers. And when he came nigh to the camp, he saw the calf and the dances, and being very angry, he threw the tables out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mount. And laying hold of the calf which they had made, he burnt it, and beat it to powder, which he strode into the water, and gave thereof to the children of Israel to drink. And he said to Aaron, what has this people done to thee, that thou shouldst bring upon them a most heinous sin? And he answered him, Let not my lord be offended, for thou knowest this people, that they are prone to evil. They said to me, Make us gods, that may go before us, for as to this Moses, who brought us forth out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has befallen him. And I said to them, Which of you hath any gold? And they took and brought it to me, and I cast it out into the fire, and this calf came out. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had stripped them by occasion of the shame of the filth, and had set them naked among their enemies, then standing in the gate of the camp he said, If any man be on the Lord's side, let him join with me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword upon his thigh, Go and return from gate to gate through the midst of the camp, and let every man kill his brother and friend and neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and they were slain that day about three and twenty thousand men. And Moses said, You have consecrated your hands this day to the Lord, every man in his son and in his brother, that a blessing may be given to you. And when the next day had come, Moses spoke to the people, you have sinned a very great sin. I will go up to the Lord, if by any means I may be able to entreat him for your crime. And returning to the Lord, he said, I beseech thee, this people hath sinned a heinous sin, and they have made to themselves gods of gold. Either forgive them this trespass, or if thou do not, strike me out of the book thou hast written. And the Lord answered him, He that hath sinned against me, him will I strike out of my book. But go thou, and lead this people, whither I have told thee. My angel shall go before thee, and I, in the day of revenge, will visit the sin also of theirs. The Lord therefore struck the people for the guilt on occasion of the calf which Aaron had made. I love the line that Aaron says at paragraph 24. He says, And they took and brought it to me, meaning the gold, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out as if it wasn't by an act, it was somehow some passive thing. Something bad happened, as if it had no agency. Every 
darn time that God makes a promise, does things for the people, makes promises, they do this or something like it. Let me rephrase. We do this. There's a lot of talk sometimes that somehow it's just the people of Israel. It's all of humanity. It's all of us that have sinned and continue to sin. And here we are tomorrow, Good Friday, the day on which the people of God, all of the people of God, pagan, Gentile, Jew, they take God himself and they crucify him. The second person of the Trinity, they crucify him. Just a new frenzy, another frenzy, another frenzy of the people saying that they know best. They know everything. Who is this fool who talks about the kingdom of God, who himself is the kingdom of God? He is redeeming us and still we don't get it. And here we are today eradicating God from our public life as if he had no part in the founding of this public life, as if the name of God is not carved into the very marble of our buildings in Washington, D.C. In some ways, I almost feel as if we are reenacting those moments in the desert, here in modern times, when we are so darn enlightened. And God, knowing this about us, because he knows past, present, and future, he died not only for the sins of the past and the present, but for the sins that I'm going to commit in the future, the ones he knows I'm going to commit in the exercise of my free will. Instead of the God of Israel wreaking destruction upon us, as was sometimes done in the past, and which Moses in that case in the desert stopped God from doing, he still lived and died and rose for us. As I'm speaking now, it is Good Friday at almost 8 o'clock p.m. Today, the memorial of the act of the death and resurrection of Christ. People in power and mobs on the street accuse God of blasphemy. We read the Gospel of the Passion of Christ by St. John. Jesus is slapped. Is that how you speak to the high priest, Pilate? trying to figure out a way to give the people what they want, but not take responsibility for any fallout. The good people of Jerusalem preferring the criminal Barabbas to Jesus Christ, the kind and good soul who had done miracles, who is himself God, who even professed to be God and so was accused of being evil. Apparently then and now, we human beings wouldn't know God if we tripped over him. And apparently, that's exactly what happened. And in fact, we killed God. And we're still trying to kill God today. Here I am, a weak human being, and I look around at myself and the world, and I say, wow, we just don't seem to be worth it. As any good priest does on this day, Father Brennan drew a portrait of our Lord taking on the inhumanity of mankind and their sins upon himself in the most brutal of ways, describing what crucifixion was, what it looked like, how it was perceived by the people, how much of a 
diminishment of the very essence of a human being it was. Father noted how we Catholics, we Christians, tend to take the whole experience for granted because we walk around wearing either crucifixes or crosses as if they're just pieces of jewelry. And we're not really taking in, in our daily lives, what crucifixion was and what it represents. It is God become man who turns around our evil and uses it to make redemption. We aren't worthy. That's the simple fact. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I think this is a bit of a difference. We may not be worthy, and he knows that we are not worthy, but he does think we are worth it because he simply loves us in a way that we are incapable of loving. Let me qualify that most of us are incapable of loving in that way. I'm sure there are some saints who truly have followed Christ. We certainly know them. They are martyrs. But the nature of the love that the creator of the universe has to become something less than himself in order to save that which he created is mind-boggling. And that's what Father was trying to say today, which sort of changed my mood from yesterday when I began to kick the theological can, as it were. There's nothing more that God can do, I'm thinking, to get our attention than to die by our hands and to resurrect in an effort to reach his hand to us and bring us to him for all eternity. This life is the platform. This life, post the act of redemption and reconciliation, is the last stop before heaven or hell. As I say that to you, I don't think I'm grasping it. Easter is the denouement of a master promise. He would do, and he did do everything he could to get us to make the decision for God. There's nothing more he can do to convince us. If we're not convinced by his death and resurrection, then we cannot be convinced. It's Friday night. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is in his tomb. All appears lost. But on Sunday, we find the empty tomb and he appears to us, his witnesses. There is no doubt that it is he. How do we know? Because 2,000 years plus later, he cannot be debunked. Despite the best efforts of the sins that continue to be committed, the ones he already died for, he's left us his actual presence in the form of bread and wine, his very body, blood, soul, and divinity. He forces nothing upon us. Every day is an opportunity to recommit, or, if you haven't yet, to commit in the first instance, now, today. God has done what he's going to do. It's up to us now to cooperate with him. Heaven or hell, I don't know about you, but I pray, I pray that I choose heaven. I pray the same for you. In the meantime, Sunday is coming. Eternal life is at our door. He is our eternal life. Happy Easter to you all.
Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I remind you that the things I talk about here, I make no pretense about being a theologian. I do a little reading. A little reading is a dangerous thing. I'm just trying to sort out stuff just like everybody else who is a Catholic, who is a Christian, who is a religious person seeking God. So I will talk to you next week. And if you're liking this show, please hit favorite. I would love that very much. I need the encouragement. Happy Easter again.